Hi, you're listening to Manufactured, a podcast about sustainability and the making of fashion. I'm your host, Kim von der Weert, a student of human rights, turned garment factory manager, turned sustainable fashion critic. On this show, I talk to some of the most integral people who manufacture what we wear. They aren't the people you see in fashion magazines. They're the people behind closed doors working in fashion supply chains. This series is a bit different to past ones that we've done, so I wanted to kick it off with a short introduction to explain what it's about and why we're doing it. The inspiration for it comes from something that my friend Dr. Krishnamanda, who has been on the show a couple of times, once said to me. He said, the first step towards systemic transformation is personal transformation. And so this new mini-series is all about exploring key moments of personal transformation. We'll be asking people in the industry to share and reflect on moments that cause them to question and ultimately reject conventional or mainstream or status quo approaches to sustainable fashion. It's a series we're really excited about because since Manufactured's inception, we've been under the radar focused on creating content that highlights and debunks the invisible assumptions behind conventional approaches to sustainable fashion. The show has also focused on offering an alternative problem diagnosis rooted in the lived experiences of apparel producers. But we've never really been explicit about this intention or explored it at a personal level. And so we're hoping that this series creates room for reimagining how the term sustainable fashion should be defined and put into practice. So what is a crossover moment exactly? I want to share a few clips from a conversation with my frequent collaborators, my co-founder, Jesse Lee, and Dr. Divya Gioti. Crossover moments would be a waking up moment. You wake up from one story, you realize there's another story. Or you realize you are in a bigger picture, which you didn't see it before. It's like maybe my dinner is rice because by default I eat rice, but I never know there are other choices or I can have something else. And after the crossing over moments, I realized there are many other choices. And by then I could say, I make a choice. And the choices I made before, maybe not making a choice. It's just habit or by default. I think it's a realization, but it doesn't necessarily have to be marked in a distinct space and time moment. So I think it can be a realization which is brewing and it happens over a much more extended period of time. And and it has, I think, two aspects to it. One is the self crossing over in some ways, if you want to define it. But then there is also a crossover in terms of, you know, sticking to the topic about, say, sustainable fashion, whatever sustainable is and whatever, you know, fashion is and what does it mean when the two notions really come together. So I think it's both the self as well as the environment within which the self is then, you know, situated and, and acting. I think it's it's crossing over of, of both those aspects. I'm still digesting the richness of the experiences shared during the interviews that we held for this series, but there are a couple of themes that came up repeatedly that I want to plant in your mind. The first has something to do with bringing humanity back into this thing we call sustainability. I've been reading a book called How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibrahim X. Kendi, 
And as you'll hear throughout the conversations in this series, it was hard for me not to see parallels between some of the concepts in that book and the issues we struggle with in our sector. One of the things Kendi describes early on in his book is what he calls our collective struggle to be fully human. He says, and I quote, to be fully human socially is for us to recognize the connection between ourselves and every other human being on earth, end quote. He goes on to also say, and I quote, to be fully human politically is to think about what humans need to live fulfilling lives and what powerful forces constrain humans, end quote. I sense that some of the calls to bring humanity back into our sustainable fashion project speak to a struggle by suppliers to be seen as fully human. Implicitly, the way we currently approach sustainability puts most of the burden on suppliers' shoulders. We have so many assessments for suppliers, so many capacity-building programs, which is another way of saying that suppliers are the ones that have to change in order for our sector to be sustainable. But to say that suppliers have to change, or to say that there is something wrong or inadequate with apparel suppliers, is also to say that they are inferior, and that their quote-unquote underperformance is because there's something wrong with them, rather than because of the inequity across apparel value chains, which, in my view, are actually what constrain a supplier's choices. In many ways, this was the reason we started this show, to humanize suppliers. As a former garment factory manager myself, I wanted to let you into this whole universe of kick-ass people who desperately want to change this industry for the better, but all too often are misunderstood, or worse, dismissed as sustainable fashion's bad guys. Their constraints and challenges are not understood. I wanted to show that what we're up against is not about good people or bad people, good intentions or nefarious intentions. They're about structure. They're about policies that sustain value chain inequity. The second theme that came up across several conversations was the term shared responsibility and mutual benefit. And yet, The sense that I got in these conversations, and really since the show has started, is that the way sustainability is done today tends to make it a supplier responsibility and does not lead to shared benefits. In fact, several described that this thing we call sustainability today primarily benefits global brands and retailers and is not driving meaningful change. We talked about how the problem of sustainability needs to be reframed so that we're better able to see, as one interviewee said, what we cannot currently see. But don't just take my word for it. I've spoken to a few people on this series who will tell you more. There's a vast majority who still doesn't really care about the impact, you know, and their major goal is just to get a piece of paper that is certified that shows that you know everything is good and we'll talk about the rest of the stuff later when we come to it. So that really was one of those we can say turning point where we decided we need to start focusing on fixing this issue and it should not be pushed by any brand or any customer but it should be our own uh, vision. During the last seven years when I was there, you'd see a chart that shows 
Timberland's CO2 emissions declining double digits every year while our revenue grew double digits. And so you'd think we're knocking the ball out of the park because it's hard to decouple economic growth from emissions growth. And yet Timberland managed to do it. And then if you turn the page, you'd see this cool picture of an outsole, the bottom of a shoe that was used as a graphic. And it showed a line with 4% of the outsole filled on one side and 96% on the other. And what it was to indicate was that the 4% is what we were measuring. We were measuring our scope one and two emissions and we were killing it on the 4% of the outsole. And what about the 96? Well, we said we wanted to know that, but we couldn't figure it out. I just got challenged by the workers in front of everybody. So I told them we want to be helpful. But, you know, she's asking, can you help us? Can you really help us? You come here once a day and you find so many problems. After that, nothing changed. What's the meaning of all this? That was in 2010. So I began to think if it is the right thing we have to do in, in social compliance. Why just later in 2011, we have a team meeting in Milan and uh, I challenged the management. What is the meaning of this kind of work? We are doing audit year after year with so many factories. But if we put out the correct action plans with the very first factory 10 years ago, it's more or less the same. Nothing changed. So what's the meaning of all this? Well, because of this conflict and uh, I decided to leave, to resign, to join some training or capacity building programs. And that's a change I start to make. That was a glimpse from industry experts Sakib Sohel, Ken Pucker, and Bergson Wang discussing their crossover experiences in their sustainability journey within the fashion industry. You'll hear more of their stories and perspectives as they question and ultimately break away from conventional approaches to sustainable fashion in the upcoming episodes of this mini-series. <laughs>